Welcome to another episode of Talking Impact Investing, a podcast about impact investing, ESG factors, and sustainability. I'm your host, Matej Sushets. This episode's main topic is developing a sustainable business strategy, as the episode features a conversation with Felix Kesser, who's a managing partner at Nexio Projects. Nexio is a Dutch-based sustainability consulting firm, which also has offices located in France. They perform many services from sustainability and climate strategy development, sustainability reporting consulting, to outsourcing certain business practices. Felix is also co-founder of Hardwork, which supports organizational transformative changes throughout change assessments, project execution, and talent matching. Without further ado, let's dive in the episode. Felix, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matze. Great to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm so excited to discuss all the topics that we already talked about a little bit, um, but can you first tell us a little bit more, how do you even develop a sustainable strategy and what are some of the key components of it? Of course. So, you know, as you mentioned, you already introduced next year a little bit. We really work throughout sort of that journey of sustainability. I think that's one of the first big things. Sustainability sometimes is seen as, you know, it has a beginning, it has an end, but it really doesn't. Some people are a bit confused as well about you know, where sustainability starts, where sustainability ends, you know, it's kind of a gray zone and, and there aren't clear boundaries. So I think it's really looking at it as a, as a long-term investment uh, and as a lens to see different processes through. So, you know, our mission at Nexio is really to help companies um, grow and, and d- develop their strategy, you know, all the way from compliance to purpose. That's really what we're here for. And that's what we support our clients with. And so, you know, throughout that journey, you know, how would you break down in different steps? Uh, the first step would really be looking at where you stand today. So really getting a sense of how do you benchmark yourself against competitors uh, in your industry, but maybe even beyond that. So there it's really thinking about, you know, what are the material topics to my company? Sustainability should be tailored to every single company. So depending on the sector you're in, the locations you have, who you employ, who your key stakeholders are, you know, what your ownership structure is, it's going to be very tailored to your organization. So that's what we always say is when you look at where you stand today, you need to be understanding, you know, what, what the key issues, those material issues are for your company. Second step, obviously, is setting a vision, thinking about where you're going in the future. What are your ambitions? What are your targets? How do you align that actually with um, climate science, for example, or, uh, you know, set robust targets that are in line with the Paris Agreement, which is a big topic right now. And what are the KPIs? How are you going to track that in the future? And I think that's a really, really important bit. And I'm sure we come back to that later. But setting that ambition, setting those targets, setting that vision is actually so key to make sure you're going in a specific direction. And then obviously, you know, the the step in the middle, and that's where we're here for, uh, in a lot of cases, is how do you fill that gap? How do you go from where you stand today to where you're going in the future? And that's thinking about what are all the key levers that you can be pulling as an organization? Once you've defined where you have the biggest impact, you know, that's where you're going to have to be focusing on. And what are all these levers that you're going to have to pull to you know, unleash innovation in your organization and start implementing solutions that will have the biggest impact? I think, you know, obviously this is a very circular process. Again, it's, there's no beginning and end. You, you keep on improving. It's an iterative process. And so, you know, that's where monitoring reporting also comes in, which is super, super important to, you know, continue that process and, and really uh, lead your company to, to become more purposeful, more aligned and more connected. 
Absolutely. And thank you for that explanation. And so maybe for our listeners to better comprehend everything, could you give us an example of maybe you at Nexia working with one of the firms of your clients uh, and what were some of the things that you helped them with and what are some of the things that you learned? Yes, absolutely. So I think we're very fortunate at Nexia to, uh, to really start and, and start working with clients at a very early stage. You know, we're very f- much focused on the mid-size sector, although, you know, we have a few multinational clients and clients are becoming bigger and bigger, but we're really fortunate to work with teams where there is a little bit of the confusion of where do we start? Because if you set the right foundations, you know, it's going to be easier to build that house future and in the future. So we have loads of uh, clients that come to us uh, at that first stage that I mentioned, which is really, you know, the defining of your material topics, the defining where you stand. And that's where we work with uh, our partners, such as Ecovadas, B Corp, these ratings, these certifications to, to identify these things, to benchmark these companies. Um, and so that's very often where the, the conversation starts. Two examples that I'd like to mention, actually, um, is one company we work with very closely uh, based in the, in, in the U.S. called Rarick Pacific. They're a big manufacturing firm. And, and one thing that they're known for is actually the manufacturing of, of plastic bins, you know, for residential commercial purposes. And um, they've really challenged themselves to think about how can we, you know, make these bins as recyclable as possible? So how can we use fully recycled plastics? And this was kind of a challenge uh, they were facing. And they came to us to, to, to help them with that. And, um, you know, now Rarick, comparing it to where they were two years ago, you know, have made tremendous progress. They've implemented as well a sustainability team. They have a sustainability manager who joined um, and, you know, they're not only performing life cycle assessments of their products to, to measure that, but they're also doing, you know, a lot on sustainability reporting, making sure that everything is tracked, is monitored, that there is that continuous improvement. They've also gone through the Ecovadas assessment um, and they, you know, very focused on setting that ambition where they want to go and become a, a company that is future proof. So that's something that we've, you know, we've supported them with in that journey. And I think that's, that's tremendous when you see clients go from, you know, an idea to actually implementing, creating teams, creating ownership, and really pushing through that vision that they're setting. And perhaps another quick example, you know, um, is another firm called De Brouw here in the Netherlands. Nexo Projects is based in the Netherlands, but works with clients all over the world. Um, and De Brouw came to us as well with, you know, they want to be a more diverse, a more inclusive law firm. And so, they didn't really know where to start, what, you know, what those topics were that were of importance for them, what their environmental footprint was, but also their social footprint. And so again, with them, we sort of started strategizing about where they stood and where they were going. And they also, you know, had a very innovative approach of bringing exterior uh, stakeholders to, um, to the table. And so one thing that they did is they set up a sustainability committee, inviting different people from other fields than the law field. Uh, and specifically one um, woman who joined the team and who brought really fresh ideas about what diversity and what inclusion actually means for a company like the Brau. And so with a company like that as well, we you know, really work about understanding where they stand and, and where they need to be going in the future and, and how to be more innovative as a firm and more inclusive and diverse. So these are two examples, one from the manufacturing, one from the service industries, but there's loads of other examples I'd love to share, but for the interest of time, perhaps uh, start with those. Yeah, that, that was excellent. What, what I think about, because you mentioned two companies, two different countries, um, do you have a lot of partners uh, and clients that work uh, in different countries? 
Have you noticed a trend that maybe there are some different strategies that need to be developed based on the region or a country, perhaps because of different policies within the country or just maybe because of the culture? Yes, absolutely. You know, I think obviously, you know, regulatory frameworks develop faster in certain regions of the world than others. You know, you see quite a big difference actually between the, the EU and, and the US already. Um, and, and that's something that we need to be aware of. But I think operating or being based in the EU you know, brings us that perspective of what might be coming in other regions of the world. Um, but this is, you know, a super, super important question, obviously, because I think it extends to, to the question as well, you know, where do your boundaries lie as a firm? Because obviously, even if you operate, even if you're based or headquartered in the US or in Europe, a lot of our clients have supply chains, value chains that spread around the world. So I think, This is a big topic, you know, and, and, and something that you need to do when you report to GRI standards, for example, is really defining those boundaries, thinking about where you're having the impact. And so we're, we don't live in a, in a world anymore where you can have very, very localized impacts. You need to be thinking about how your impacts are spreading geographically. And so that means really taking into consideration uh, regulations from around the world and not only abiding to local regulation if you have a manufacturing plant, you know, in China or in India, but really setting higher standards for yourself as a company based on the same standards that you have uh, in Europe or the US, for example. So I think that's on the regulation part, but I think, you know, there's also a clear understanding that we're living in a more and more interconnected world. Um, and certainly when you think of something like emissions, There's no clear boundaries. If you're emitting in France or in the Netherlands or in the US, there's no boundaries in the sky. You know, we obviously our, our national boundaries are are sort of virtual in that sense. And in a lot of things in, on the impacts that company are having around the world, there are no clear boundaries. So I think it's really important to think in a more interconnected way. And for that, really looking at your, your impacts around the globe rather than just purely in one geography. Absolutely. One thing that I think about when you work with your clients and start working with them, um, especially if it's in the early stages, uh, what are some of the common misconceptions that you face um, and how do you address them when it comes to uh, strategy development? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, I, I bring it back always to, to the key challenges that, that, I, that I see and that we see as a team over and over again on the project that we work. You know, there's a strong you know, misunderstanding that, that sustainability is purely an engineering problem or a technical problem. And that's definitely a key component of it. But we were really looking at, I think, four main challenges. And one of them, obviously, is that technical engineering problem. You know, are, are, do we have solutions that are and innovations and technology that will help us uh, abate our emissions or, you know, reduce our emissions? There are other components that are very important. Financial one, for example, um, an accounting one, which is a very, very hot topic at the moment, is sort of how do we actually measure our impact? Certainly, You know, in this podcast and in general and impact investing, I think that's a really important challenge. You know, how do we actually measure the impacts that, that our company or companies or organizations around the world are having? And then I think for me, uh, a huge challenge that I think is, is often sort of pushed aside is the behavioral challenge. And you might have the technical solutions. You know, you might know how to exactly measure, monitor. You might have everything set in place, but if you don't have... Um, you know, if you don't have a joint purpose, if you're not bringing people along in your team, if you don't have that shared vision, and if you're not sort of overcoming some of the key biases that we all have as humans, then it's incredibly difficult to drive change. And, you know, obviously one big challenge from behavioral perspective is, you know, a huge bias that we all have 
is sort of, you know, discounting the future too much. So putting way more weight on the present versus the future. And that's really at the core of, of sustainable development, you know? So I think that's a huge problem that every organization faces is that hyperbolic discounting, as we call it, you know, and the short-sightedness that comes with that. So I think that's really super important in, in, in overcoming. And that's also, maybe we can come to that a little bit later, but why we found it hard work is really to sort of drive, drive purpose within organizations, include, engage, and really empower people to, to drive that change and overcome these behavioral biases. Absolutely. And we're going to come to that uh, just in a little bit. Uh, I just wanted to touch on a little bit more about the measuring of the impact. And perhaps you can also talk about EcoVadis that you already mentioned, how they provide certifications and ultimately uh, how do you guys measure and have in place the KPIs and everything when it comes to um, seeing how your clients did um, over the longer periods of time. Yeah, for sure. You know, Ecovadis, it's really interesting, a company really fast growing, a unicorn based out of, out of France. And they have about 85,000 companies now that are rated on their platform. So they're by now, I think, the biggest ESG or sustainability rating company in the world. And they really, you know, were founded with the idea that coming back to the complexity of supply chains of large companies, every large company you know, used to have their own terms on which they worked with suppliers, their own supplier engagement platforms, their own way of measuring their impact through their supply chain. And Ecovada saw this as a great opportunity to say, why don't we create one platform, one rating system, one assessment that can be universally applied by all big purchasing companies in the world. And therefore, if you are a small supplier, you know, you don't have to deal with all the paperwork anymore. You have one questionnaire to answer and you can share that questionnaire with all your buyers. So that was really at the onset of how Ecovadis was started. And so, you know, it's basically works as, you know, any of these, these big rating uh, agencies or assessments, CDP being another one purely based on, uh, on climate, forest and, and water, for example, impact. But, you know, it's just a questionnaire that you fill in based on four big pillars. Uh, so Ecovadis really looks at these four pillars of environment, labor and human rights, ethics and sustainable procurements. And under these topics, there are, you know, different subtopics and each have different questions. What differentiates Ecovadis from, from other rating agencies is that every single question needs to be backed by documentation and proof. And it's that proof that the Ecovadis analysts then, you know, analyze and rate. And that's what gives you the score that you get at the end. So, you know, it's obviously second best because documentation is just documentation. <laughs> Policies and procedures are in place. But again, coming back to this misconception that I was mentioning, you know, what happens behaviorally? How do people actually, you know, behave within your organization is a different question. If we were able to transparently audit that in a very efficient way, then that would be the first best. But I think, you know, this is already a very good solution to kind of measure where companies uh, are because, you know, as you say, you know, if, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So that's where the planning, the documentations, the policies, the procedures, if that's all in place in what we call sustainability management system, then that's already a really good foundation for you to build, uh, to build upon. Excellent. Now we can shift back uh, to hard work uh, that we already mentioned. And there are two things that I'm particularly interested about. Uh, and one is how do you actually measure companies' willingness to change? And how do you help them uh, best match their young talent that they're looking for? Uh, and I know you're the perfect person to ask since you, first of all, co-founded the company, but also at Nexio, your average age of your employees is about 27 years old, which is amazing. I have a lot of young talent. And so I'm really eager to, to hear your thoughts about that. 
Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, coming back to, to, to why hard work was founded in the first place, it's a, you know, a group of people who came together and one person um, who, you know, had a big background uh, as CFO of large companies here in the Netherlands, another which, you know, worked as a partner at Accenture for, for, for a long time. And I think, um, you know, coming around the table from the very onset, it was a team of um, people with a lot of experience and uh, younger people um, to co-found this initiative. So I think it was already in the DNA of, the, of the, the, the organization to think about, you know, how can we bridge younger thoughts with, with experienced thought, I guess, thought leadership. And to first maybe tackle your question about how to bridge that gap, that's what we do with other companies. You know, it's really about creating a movement, I think. So it's about recognizing where uh, there is, there are gaps of leadership within organizations and raising awareness is the first step uh, to, you know, taking those steps with, uh, to, to bridge the talent. So first you take the, the leaders of an organization uh, and, and you have these discussions around, you know, where the organization is, is leading, where the biggest gaps are. And then you match them with, with younger uh, people from, you know, we, we match them now with people from the Netherlands specifically, but with the idea of expanding that at a certain stage. But really looking at uh, what can these people bring in terms of reverse mentorship. So I think that's an, a big concept that uh, we're pushing forward is really having the humility as a leader to say, you know, I'm actually looking forward to getting insights, getting feedback from the younger generation who might have completely different ideas from me. So I think the first step is really finding those points of, of humility and, and connecting at a deeper level with these leaders from organization. And that's something that, that uh, we do at hard work. And the second step is really guiding, training, and upskilling younger people who you know, might have the motivation, who might have you know, the, the urge to really speak up um, but help them basically frame that and transform that energy into something that's constructive and guide them basically uh, by connecting them with these leaders to have uh, that reverse mentorship. Excellent. Yeah, we are coming short on time. So I'm going to ask you the last question. What are you most excited about when it comes to the field of sustainability, when it comes to uh, developing sustainable strategies um, and ultimately the impact that uh, all of those strategies have? I think it's, it's been an incredible journey so far. You know, Nexus existed now for four years and already so much has changed in the field of sustainability, corporate sustainability. And I think for me, one thing that's super interesting is the development from the concept of CSR, you know, corporate social responsibility, really being linked more to philanthropic ideas and looking at, okay, how can a company do less harm? It evolved from that to now we're at a stage where we're talking about corporate sustainability, starting to sort of embed more of the principles of sustainability within operation, within the business model, within the way that organizations really work. And I think that now we're seeing more and more of a merger between the fields of impact investments, of impact and corporate sustainability. So I think it's going to evolve from corporate sustainability to just talking about impact in the future. And I'm really excited about that. And that means as well, you know, we're seeing a huge standardization in our sector, certainly when it comes to measuring, you know, we've mentioned this a few times, but we're seeing all these standards that have sort of mushroomed and grown apart. And now you see them all come together. So whether this is, you know, the impact management project or, you know, the impact weighted accounts from Harvard or the CDSB, you see CDP and you see the International Sustainability Standards Board being created now. So there's a real big standardization in that industry. And I think, you know, 
understanding for companies to understand exactly what they need to be measuring will help them really focus. And I think for me, that's the big word is, you know, as long as companies know what they need to be focusing on and understanding where they have the biggest impact, then they can really drive change. So I think that's what I'm really excited about. I think also another point is that we're seeing, you know, we're at a very clear point in history now where the cost of, of inaction is much larger than the cost of action. And I think a lot of leaders are waking up to that. You know, we've seen it now, you know, the cost of COVID was $16 trillion approximately. Cost of climate change, we think is going to be about $30 trillion by 2050, according to some approximations. But then when you look at, you know, what the UN estimates as the cost to address the, the SDGs globally, that's about $5 trillion to $7 trillion a year. So we're really in a, in a very luxurious situation now where it's so clear that the cost of inaction is much larger and, and, you know, we have to ring the bells. And I think a lot of people are waking up, a lot of leaders are waking up to that. Um, so that's something I'm very excited ab- about as well. And yeah, in, in terms of where we're going with Nexio, and I think what I'm excited about that, as I mentioned, we're in a very luxurious position to be engaged with so many different te- teams around the world at the very early stages of their sustainability journey. So that's really where we have a huge power to, you know, challenge the status quo and, and sort of have these amazing conversations and an and, and awakening of certain leaders within these organizations to say, you know what? Wow, I've never thought of sustainability as a lens for innovation, but this is so amazing because suddenly it frames something that, you know, all these loose ends and brings them together into to something that I can strategize about, make a vision about, and really you know, embed purpose into my organization and make sure that everybody is on board. So I'm really excited about continuing doing that work. And I think also now, you know, working with more diverse organizations, we've started working more with the public sector. That's a super interesting, um, you know, type of client as well, which is quite different from private sector, but where impacts obviously can be absolutely huge. So that's something I'm really excited about. Um, and then, you know, continuing to, to create those, those connections, continuing to, to understand what, where the scalable solutions lie and how companies can tackle their biggest issues in terms of sustainability. Felix, it, it has been my pleasure. It is, this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for joining Talking Impact Investing, sharing your expertise in regards to sustainability, sustainability strategy development, what you all do with Nexium and hard work, and best of luck to you in the future. Great, Matei. Thank you so much for this conversation. Hope to uh, teach it again soon. Thank you for staying with us until the very end. You can stay up to date with the upcoming episodes by subscribing. And if you found any useful information, feel free to leave a five-star review and follow Talking Impact Investing Podcast on social media.